You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Today, with, uh, with one of the, the key verses on worship, I believe, in John chapter number 4. Uh, we'll just start there by reading one verse, and then we'll, Lord willing, we will be wrapping up this message and series on worship. It's not... There's a lot more that could be said, and in fact, we'll be saying there'll be a lot of crossover between what I'm saying now and what I say in the, uh, in the next service as well. But in the Gospel of John, chapter number 4, and I want to read verse number, uh, my apologies, I believe it's 24. I'm looking at two different verses here. All right, yeah, verse 24, God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. God is the Spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. We've been talking for a number of weeks about biblical worship and what it means to worship the Lord, and there's a lot of different images that come to mind when people think about worship and talk about worship, uh, and really, man hopelessly worships something, uh, indeed, but the but there's a biblical worship, and we we talked a lot last week about worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth. And so we'll continue today as we, t- we talked about the people of worship and the priority of worship. Uh, and, and we are the people of worship. That's one of the things that we emphasize. We're the ones who worship the Lord. Um, and today we're going to talk about the practice of worship. This may get a little bit ahead of me, but what are some ways that we can worship the Lord? What are some ways that we can express worship? Uh, through our lives. Uh, any, any thoughts on that? How can we worship the Lord? What are some things, because today is the practice of worship. How do we worship the Lord? Robin. Yeah. Aunt Robin, by the way. It's good to have Aunt Robin here with us today. Uh, but that's right. Doing, doing things for others, really. And that, that well, I, I'll, I'll leave, leave it for now because I may come back if nobody says something else along those lines. Any other thoughts on worship? Yeah, prayer. Yeah, prayer is absolutely a form of worship. We'll see that uh, shortly. Any other thoughts on ways that we can worship the Lord? Uh, singing, absolutely. Singing worships the Lord. What did you say, Richard? Music. Yeah, music and singing, uh, worship, worshiping the Lord. Absolutely, these things are key. Um, in, what's that? Obeying Him. Sure. Yeah. Uh, the Bible says that obedience is better than sacrifice. You know, sacrifice is a form of what we think of worship, you're sacrificing, but God says, well, hey, give me obedience. Uh, do what I say. Um, any other thoughts on worship? What's that? Okay, absolutely. Now, uh, I don't know if I would have uh, been all in on Jen's suggestion there on teaching. Can teaching and preaching, is that a form of worship? And the reason I say absolutely is because we worship God in truth. And what glorifies God more than proclaiming His truth? and lifting up the truth, because it's the truth that's going to show who God is. It will dispel the lies. It's the truth that brings light into darkness and gives people the opportunity to see God for who He is. So, yeah, teaching and preaching can be a form of worship, because it's interesting when you read through, especially the Old Testament, uh, the, the priest service was a form of worshiping the Lord. And uh, So anyway, any, any other thoughts on worship? Ron? 
I love that. He said, never stop saying thank you, which, which if, if I were to rephrase that, I would just be, 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 in, be in an attitude of praise, been in an attitude of worship, just on a regular basis, keeping our minds on the goodness and the greatness of God, and so learning to thank the Lord throughout the course of our days, not just, and I think that brings in a good point just to emphasize, and I think we're all on the same page with this, but you don't just worship God one hour a week. Uh, Right? I mean, uh, that's very important. Melanie? Absolutely. Yeah, giving. How about giving our tithes and offerings? We worship Him with our giving. Um, and, and, and these are all ways, remember, remember what the, the word uh, worship means, kind of what it comes from? It's kind of a compound word. It's, uh, it, it just means to ascribe worth to. That, Lord, you're worth this. I, I, I want to I find some way to say, Lord, you're worth this you're you're worthy you're you, you have worth your your value and all of these things that we have mentioned and and we said all a, a, around this other one that i was going to build off of aunt robbins and that was just uh of serving the lord uh you know doing when, when you're just when you're worshiping and, and just even if you're just doing something in the church i mean the the picture of worship that probably seldom comes to people's mind is a guy sitting back at a sound booth Oh, man, look at that. You know, Jen, Jen comes up with just some of the best, and if you see what we, what we put out on YouTube and social media, Jen's uh, almost always the one that's coming up with the, uh, the different pictures and stuff that go along with the titles. Uh, but I doubt Jen, I'm, she'll, she'll probably do it now, but I doubt Jen on the topic of worship would just take a picture of a tray you sitting at the sound booth saying, Worship, that's today's topic, right? Uh, and, and understandably so, because, uh, you know, I like the one with the hands up and because that does kind of give the picture of what we think more uh but 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 the point is you don't think of somebody running a vacuum as uh keeping books or you know whatever else it may be uh as being a form of worship but really worship is a fairly broad thing um and 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 that's why i'm glad that we talk about that because if you're like me sometimes you can get uh you can get worship and pray you can make worship and praise synonymous you can make worship and praise synonymous. Uh, and they're not the exact same thing. I, I believe that pra- our praise is a part of our worship, but worship isn't only praising the Lord, uh, you know, vocally, with the, maybe with our hands up or with a song or with an amen or whatever. Uh, that's where praise comes in. But So praise is definitely involved in worship, but uh, worshiping God, again, I think one of the big things, to, maybe one of the big misnomers about worship is most of the worshiping we do uh, is probably going to take place without goosebumps. <laughs> I think that, I mean, listen, I, I love spiritual goosebumps, don't you? I love those times when my heart is stirred and, man, those warm tears begin to fill my eyes. And, and I was talking some about that last week. So then my worship comes out in the form of praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Lifting up his name. Uh, and, and not just based on feeling. We talked about that last week too. We worship in spirit and in truth. We don't worship God just because we feel it or we think it. We worship God because we know what God's truth is. Uh, but the point is, is that I can sometimes get those mixed up in my mind. But worship is a pretty broad subject. Um, so uh, now that we've talked about some of these, I'm just going to go into the outline and, and talk about these that, some of these that we've already mentioned. Um, the practice of worship. How does God instruct us to ascribe worth to Him? 
Remember, we are lively stones. That was our text verse of this study going back to 1 Peter. We're we're lively stones built up together as a spiritual house. We are the church of the living God. We are the pillar and the ground of truth. Jesus said we must worship in spirit and in truth. So one of the responsibilities of the church, the house of worship, is to hold up, celebrate, and testify of the truth of who Jesus is. I mean, and, and again, that's where we started this out to where, you know, I think it was Dory that said teaching. And uh, I think before I'd have been like, yeah, sure. But, you know, through studying this, I'm like, absolutely. That's huge. Because if the church isn't lifting up the truth, if teachers and preachers and even individuals within the church aren't lifting up the truth, who will? Who's going to lift up the truth if it's not the church? And remember, that's us. That's, that's not just the preaching and teaching. That's you as well. It's not going to be the public schools. It's not going to be corporate America. It's not going to be the government or politicians. It must be the church that lifts up the truth. The church is the pillar and the ground of truth. We see that the central part of worship is the truth of Jesus Christ. And the truth of Jesus Christ is found in the Word of God. Someone said, Word and worship belong indissolubly together to each other. All worship is an intelligent and loving response to the revelation of God because it is the adoration of His name. Therefore, acceptable worship is impossible without preaching. For preaching is making known the name of the Lord, and worship is praising the name of the Lord. So, real worship holds up the truth to be uh, the truth both to the saved and to the lost, to the Christian and to the unbeliever. There's a big problem, and I don't know if you've ever been a, problem, a part of something like this or not, but I've seen it. I've been in services uh, to where, uh, you know, I believe, I believe there's something wrong. Now listen, again, I, I say this, if you know me, you know that I want my heart to be stirred. You know, I, uh, man, I, I, I want to have those times where you can just sense the presence of the Holy Spirit of God, you know, working in our midst, and uh, man, you, you know what I'm talking about, those times where it's just like, wow. You know, surely the Lord is in this place. I mean, and your heart overflows and you just, man, maybe you're crying. Maybe you're praising the Lord and all that, and, and, and which is wonderful. But there's something wrong if people seem to be in a way like that. And then when the preacher gets up and says, okay, open up your Bibles. And then people are just like, oh, gosh. You know, and sitting there, you know, nodding off. Uh, whatever, and, and again, people nod off. I ain't picking on not nodding offers, especially people with sleep apnea and whatnot. Not picking on that. What I'm saying is, if we can't worship in the Word, if we get let down because, oh man, there's going to be a message too. You don't. You you. I was going to say you don't know how common that is. You may know how common that is. Uh, people don't get too excited. Some people don't get too excited about the preaching of the Word of God. And, but may God help us to get excited, man. May God be, help us to be chomping at the bits like, man, yes, my heart was just stirred. I was just moved. Man, give me the Word. Give me some truth now. Give me something that I can chew on and grow on. And that is the true attitude of worship. 
Because what you'll find is one of the more popular models in the day and age in which we live is as little truth as possible. We're going to get you emotionally stirred and make you feel good. And then I'm going to give you a 10-minute message and, uh, you know, something fluffy. And again, just make you feel even better. Uh, nothing wrong with feeling good. I don't, not against that. But you understand what I'm saying. And then just leave and go out through, through your week. Uh, but I believe a biblical model of worship involves the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. Holding up the Word of God. And... In the Old Testament, it's interesting, a vital part of the worship of the Old Testament, which we see translated into the New Testament, was that the priest of Israel would keep, instruct, and teach God's Word. God also instructed the king to do the same, and I'll read those verses in a minute, but we're in Nehemiah right now, and we're getting to the place to where they're, they're getting real close to, to feast season. I've talked about the feast uh, Years ago here at the church, I think I'll do it again sometimes because they're a great picture of Christ and His work, uh, but they're getting close to feast season where we're at in the book of Nehemiah right now, and they're getting everything lined up to get ready to worship. We'll see that in Nehemiah 7 today. They're, trying to, they're getting everything in order, getting ready for the Feast of Tabernacles and some of these other uh, feasts that are coming up, but the thing that really kicks things off is when they get into the Word of God and... I don't know how excited you'd be about this. I don't know how excited I'd be about this. But if I remember correctly, when you get to Nehemiah, I think it's chapter 8, they have about a six-hour preaching service uh, with Nehemiah. And you thought I preached long, amen? Uh, because they got into the Word of God and they're instructing uh, the, the people. But, but notice this about the kings of Israel. Deuteronomy 17, verse 18 and 19, the Bible says, And it shall be, when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book out of that which, which is before the priest and the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to keep all the words of this law and these statutes and to do them. So basically the king, it, when you became the king of Israel, you were responsible to copy the first five books of the Bible, word for word. You were then required to carry that on your person pretty much at all times. You were required to read it on a regular basis so that you might learn the fear of the Lord. The kings of Israel were described. Now, you ask me how many of them did that. Uh, I would imagine not many of them in history, but that's what they were supposed to do. In the Old Testament, God wanted His people to treasure His law and to honor Him. And... Uh, I've mentioned this too, but this is definitely worth repeating, that uh, I preached a message several Wednesdays ago, it's probably been a couple months ago now, but I preached about the what's called the quote-unquote emerging church. Um, and the emerging church is what they call themselves, they'd be more aptly called the submerging church, I think, but, but, but really, they, it, it, it's, we talked about the New Age movement, it's a mix of a lot of New Age philosophies and ideas and Eastern mysticism, they, they incorporate into their belief system. A lot of crazy stuff, but it's, it's very, very popular in the world of quote-unquote Christendom, Christendom today. But number one, they do not believe in absolute truth. And like most people that don't believe in absolute truth, they're absolutely sure that there's no absolute truth. Uh, they usually are. Uh, but so, so they don't believe in absolute truth. And they believe that all this truth and Bible and doctrine and stuff, that gets in the way of people being able to worship God. 
You know, that's going to stand in the way of you, of you really being able to have this experience with God. Now, if you just think about how silly that is. So God's revelation, His Word, the only basis we know for knowing even who God is, we could look at nature and understand He's a powerful Creator, but we could have never known who He really is without the Word of God. And yet there's, there's a people out there today that say basically that, that the truth of God's Word, preaching and teaching, and, and, and the idea of absolute truth gets in the way of worshiping and knowing God. I mean, that's ridiculous. Uh, obviously, but that's really what, what people believe today. Uh, you know, there, there's a, I don't know why every once in a while I think of some of those old southern sayings I'd hear from time to time, and uh, I'd hear the preacher say, man, somebody believes that, they're crippled too high for crutches. You know, they just, uh, they don't have a shot. But it's crazy, the, the ignorant things that people believe. In the New Testament, God wants His church to treasure His Word and to lift up Christ. Of course, when truth, when the truth is being lifted up, we have an obligation to hear it and obey it. Um, there were two men talking one day. The one said, I'm getting really concerned for my wife. I've noticed that she talks to herself a lot lately. Really? The other man returned. My wife does that too. Only she, do, only she doesn't know it. Because she thinks I'm listening. <laughs> um, so... Uh, we should ask ourselves, is worship primarily about God listening to us or us listening to God? So worship isn't just a one-way street. It goes together. Uh, yes, we want God to hear our, and, and, see, and, and, and see our worship expressed, but may we also want to hear from Him. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 24 through 25, but if all prophecy... But if I'll prophesy, I'm sorry, and there come in one that believeth not, or an unlearned, he is convinced of all. He is judged of all. And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. Those aren't verses that we read, that we're, that we read every day or hear quoted very often. But it's interesting because... We find out, to me, you find out something really, really fascinating in 1 Corinthians 14. There's, there's, God wants to make sure worship is done right because God cares about what the unbeliever thinks when they come into the congregation. That's interesting to me. God cares about what the unbeliever thinks when they come into church. You know, because we could just say, well, we, we ought not care what nobody, man, we're just going to do our thing. Well, no, uh, but, but we can do God's thing. Now, if we're doing God's thing, we don't, we're not concerned. Because if we're doing God's thing, then the unbeliever comes in. And whether they like it or not, we know that we're doing things God's way. But, but he was really concerned. You know, you, you read on through there. And if you remember, there, this is the section about when, when the church had the ability to speak in other languages and all that. Uh, before, the, before the completion of the New Testament. But he just said, but these people were doing it all wrong and everything. And so he said, these people come in and they're going to think you're crazy. Uh, but it's, so that was just an interesting point. But, but getting back to what he's saying there, God wants to make sure that our worship is something that glorifies Him and therefore draws, uh, draws people to the Lord. If we have no biblical preaching in our worship, if it's only filled with emotional ecstasy pumped up by music or charismatic personalities, would an unsaved person be convicted of his need for Christ? And the answer is probably not. You want to know one of the reasons, again, I'm not critical. Uh, I'm not just critical for the sake of being critical. But if you, 
If the Word of God is not being taught or preached to some extent, an, an unsaved person, I'll just say this. For one thing, an unsaved person could go in and enjoy a secular concert that has zero to do with Christ, can they not? And we can too. You, you, you know what it is to, the, the, when just the, the spirit of man working together and, and, and music and everything. Man, we can all get excited. So one of the popular models, again, is let's do that for church. And so we just get people pumped in for church, pumped up for church. And, and I know that without question, we have people that are not saved that come to this church. No question about that. And that's good. We won't be unsaved people come to this church. We won't want them to stay that way. We want them to get saved. Uh, but what I'm saying is, I've known churches that have large numbers of people, and man, it seems like more of them that you talk to than not, it's like, wait, are you even saved? You know, can you tell me about Christ? Can you tell me about when you come to Christ? Uh, no, but man, we sure do enjoy going there and feeling good and getting pumped up and worshiping. But the problem is, what Paul's saying there in, in 1 Corinthians is, our worship should lead people to the knowledge of Christ. Not just making people feel good. Nothing wrong with feeling good. But again, that ought to be a byproduct, not, a, uh, not, a, not the goal, if you will. Um, all right. Uh, honor Christ with, uh, with preaching. Honor Him with the, the, the truth of God's Word. Another way to honor and worship is with sacrifice. Hebrews, well, I'm going to skip that one. I'm going to go down to uh, sacrifice. All right. Uh, we're to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable God, to God uh, by Jesus Christ, we find out in the book of Hebrews. Since Jesus shed his blood for us, there's the idea that we willingly serve him. The Greek word for serve means to render religious service or homage, to worship, to perform sacred services, or to offer gifts. Worship involves both a heart attitude and an outward expression. It's our response or adoration to our God. So we're looking at a couple uh, types of sacrifice. And this is the, the point, a big point that I'm going to make in the 11 o'clock service. But I just want to go ahead and hit it again here to, just for the sake of repetition and getting it in your mind. That we don't worship God and we don't serve God so that we might be worth something to God. And we don't serve and worship so that we might be worth, worth something in the church. In other words, way, way too often religion, and I'm telling you, even, even among those of us that are saved because we have, a, we have a works attitude about stuff, and so if we're not careful, we base everything on our performance. And, and, so, and, and you've heard this kind of preaching. I just said, after all that Jesus has done for us, we ought to serve Him, and that's very true. But it's not that we're serving Him to make ourselves worthy. It's not that we're serving Him to make up for His grace for us. Uh, no, we, we don't serve so that we might be worth something. We don't serve so that we might be valuable. We understand the truth. We are valuable. We are worth something. And therefore, we serve. Now that may not sound like much of a, a statement to you, but if you're like me, you found yourself serving to prove something. Serving to show, oh, I'm going to, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to be validated. I'm going to be recognized. I'm going to be the one that's mentioned. I'm going to be the one that's called out. I'm going to be worth something. No, you're already worth something. And therefore, we serve. And I, it's, it's a, 
It's, it's, a, it's really a powerful truth. But, but, but we, we honor Christ through sacrifice. Uh, Romans 12, verse 1, the Bible says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. This is a form of worship, presenting our bodies to the Lord. Again, Christ gave himself for us, and, and I love that third verse of at the cross, where it says, uh, you know, but drops of grief can ne'er repay the debt of love I owe. What's it say after that? Here, Lord, I give myself away. Tis all that I can do. I think that's wonderful. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you, and, and, and it's present, but you, you probably heard this before, and I love it because I, I, I think of it this way. I think every time I read it and see it, that you present yourselves, <laughs> right? You present yourselves. You make yourself a gift to God. I present my body, our, our, our hands, our feet, our ears, our eyes, our, everything we are, we give to the Lord. I am so thankful that I was challenged with this verse on some kind of regular basis as a young person. And it wasn't just because I was a young person. It's just because there was a lot of preaching about the will of God. God's got a purpose for your life. God's got a will for your life. But you've got to surrender to do His will. You know, you don't say, okay, God, here's what I want to do. This is going to be your will. No, we say, Lord, I will do whatever it is that you'd have me to do. I present myself as a living sacrifice to you. So there's the sacrifice of who we are. Lord, I'll go where you want me to go, do what you want me to do. I'll listen to what you want me to listen to. I'll say what you want me to say. On down the line, we surrender our, our, our bodies, ourselves. So we sacrifice our person, so to speak, but then there's also the sacrifice of our praise. Hebrews 13, 15, this is the verse I was looking for earlier. Hebrews 13, 15 by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks unto his name. I'll read that again. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is, what does that mean? The fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. This is not a sacrifice that we simply offer on Sunday within the church family. But it says continually, as has already been mentioned. So the sacrifice of praise to God. Now I want to pause right here and, and just bring up a, a, a subject that I'd like to have you thinking about. I think it's worth the conversation. It was brought up to me this week, uh, and I've heard this before. But in 1 Corinthians 14, 34, and believe me, the, I, I could be up here trying to open up a can of worms and, and just try to close it, because I'm going to try to close it as soon as I open it. But first, because, not because I don't want to talk about it, but just because I'm talking about worship this morning and not this. But, but in the context of this, 1 Corinthians 14, 34, where Paul says, well, I'll, I'll give you the verse. Uh, oh, there we go. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak. But they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. If you go on there, it says, if they got any questions, let them go home and ask their husbands the questions. How's that make you feel, number one? But, but again, that's why I say I'm opening up a can of worms a little bit. But can anybody tell me the context of 1 Corinthians 14? Yeah, it's tongues, it's prophecy. So the direct context there is definitely 
considering prophecy and, and, and the speaking. As a matter of fact, he had to warn the Corinthians specifically that, that women are not permitted to get up and speak in other languages, which what, is what biblical tongues were. The, the women are not supposed to be doing that. That's not the gift that God gives to women. And there's a whole reason for that, uh, that again will be for a whole other topic and lesson, as well as this thing, because then it goes on to say something else. It goes on to say, uh, well, there you go. And if they learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in, in the church. Now, again, you always got to consider context. And no matter what you're studying, you just can't take two verses out of the middle of a chapter and all of a sudden say, well, that's it, that's settled. you, you, you got to study the whole context of the topic. And uh, so a couple of things there. Uh, one is that the context is prophecy. Another thing does talk about, okay, but when you, when you study the questioning part there, and this is still something that I say is really worth the conversation and worth debate, but uh, it seems to be having to do with disputation. Now think about this from a practical standpoint. I'm going to back up there from a practical standpoint. Was everybody here born pretty much within the last hundred years? I'd say so. Uh, most of us, uh, e even shorter time than that. And most of us were just dumped into the church of the 20th century. Uh, there's nobody in here that, uh, except for the baby, that was put into the church of the 21st century. Well, but even some of you that are newly saved were just put into the church of the 21st century, if you will. So all we've known is what we have and what we do, never been questioned. But... There, 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 there's, a, there's another truth involved here that would be worth exploring and talking about as far as who was supposed to be the spiritual leader of a home? The man. Oh, let me ask you this though. You want to know why, why that's such a big problem for a lot of people? There's this little thing called the curse. And when God cursed Eve, she's like, uh, okay Eve, guess what, you, guess what you've got? Man, was God tough on women? It seems like it, don't it? But, but, but God has wisdom, uh, so I'm not going to question him on it. But he says, for one thing, you're going to have to travail in child labor. Wouldn't you like to just be able to drop them out like the animals do? Um, but anyway, then another thing uh, he said is your desire is going to be toward your husband. And when you start reading that, the, the New Testament actually explains it, and it's basically saying this, you're going to want to be the boss. But you can't be the boss. Your desire is going to want to be, to be the boss. Your desire is going to be to want to be the authority. But you're not the authority. All right? And, and, and that's a challenge. Again, I'm questioning whether or not I should open up this can of worms because I said I'm not teaching on it, but here I go teaching on it. But I'm going to try to give you just touch on it, get you thinking on it, studying on it. We can come back and talk about it later. But if the husband's supposed to be the spiritual leader of the home, what does it mean? Just, just think about it. A woman asking the pastor the questions versus the woman... Because what does that do? See, men, for one thing, you know, women seem to be a lot more in tune to worship. Have you noticed that? I mean, in, in, in a lot of churches, some churches, a big part of their... A, a larger part of their population is women in the church. Because um, men sometimes... For whatever reason, we're a little bit quicker to check out on things. We're a little bit quicker, for whatever reason, not to want to step up and take that responsibility. But what does it say to a husband when a wife comes and says, Honey, i got a question about 1 Corinthians 14. Can you help me with that? You say, Well, preacher, you don't understand. My husband don't know Jack. 
He don't know nothing. Okay. Uh, maybe if you ask him, maybe he'll look into it. Maybe he'll ask the preacher. Maybe he'll study. Maybe he'll get into the Word. Because it's, there's this thing when it comes to respect. And the, and, and the two things that we talk about, this, can't, this quick little turn's taking a lot longer than I meant. But the quick little, the, 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 the one big principle in the Word of God is that the Bible says that husbands are supposed to love their wives unconditionally as Christ loved the church. Women are supposed to respect and reverence their husbands. Uh, they're in uh, Ephesians 5. Love your wives, see that she reverence her husband. What is it? It's love and it's respect. Women want unconditional love, so do men. Men want respect. And you want to know what's a respectful thing to do? Honey, I'm going to ask you before I go asking another guy about this truth. So there's some real practical reasons for this too. Now here I am. I just opened up that can of worms and I'm going to try to get them back in, stuff the lid on and talk about this later. The point that I'm coming around to is this. A lot of people have been taught that this verse means that a woman ought not worship in church. A woman is not permitted to say, thank you, Jesus. Amen, praise the Lord. One of the funny things about these same people is they don't seem to mind it if they're up here with the microphone singing it. That don't seem to bother them at all. Uh, but for some reason, they just don't like the idea of a woman speaking up and saying, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Uh, whatever the case may be. And they use this verse to justify it. I went on that long rabbit trail I went on, and some of you may still be stuck there, I'm sorry. Uh, but I went on that whole thing to show you that I don't personally believe, and I'm going to study this out more because it's worth the conversation, but I don't personally believe that that means that a woman uh, is not able to praise the Lord in corporate worship or get up and sing uh, and worship the Lord in corporate worship, uh, as some people do teach and believe. Now, the thing I will say is that there's more for me to even understand about 1 Corinthians 14, but I intend to study that and talk about it more. All right? So... I say that because that was brought up to me this week, and then I was reminded, man, I've known a lot of people that believe that, because again, we, there's some things, if you just took that verse, it reminds me of the verse, you know, where the Bible again talks to women, and it says that, uh, let it not be, let, let, let her outward adorning not be that of, uh, of, of, of makeup and of, and, and a plaiting of the hair, and so then there's some people, see you right there, woman ought not wear makeup or, or fix her hair. But Dawn knows where I'm going. The problem is, is it keeps on going and it says, or wearing of clothes. And so if that verse is saying a woman ought not fix her hair, put on makeup, it also means she shouldn't wear clothes. All right? And, and God is not saying that. And again, if you took this verse and just took it for what it says, I mean, can you imagine? It, it is the picture, and, and the reason I'm, I'm certain that it's not, think about the relationship Jesus. Jesus allowed people to speak to him. Jesus allowed women to speak to him and, and, and bring up questions and talk, okay? Uh, and so, but, when, uh, but, but it doesn't mean that, man, my goodness, you come in the doors and it's just like, man, you better not say a word. Better not say a word. Uh, nothing's to come out of your mouth. So, uh, but what does it mean? That'll be for another conversation. But at this point, I'm convinced that it does not mean that women ought not take place in the corporate worship of God. That, we, that, that women, that together we can come together and, and lift up praises to God, uh, both in singing and both in praise. And again, it's something that could be a conversation for another day. 
But, but again, I say that because of the sacrifice of praise. I feel like we talked about that a lot last week. And I just want to encourage this one more time. Uh, I've been really trying to encourage this more and more uh, because, you know, sometimes what can happen as a preacher, and in, in this case, like as a church planner, you know, I, I started this church and, and some people, there's a lot of people that have come to Christ in this church that have never really been in a, in a Bible preaching church or, or maybe even if they were in a Bible preaching church, maybe I can't assume that they learned everything that's to be learned. And so sometimes for me, I'm just like, man, it sure would be nice if folks would just like sing out in church, you know? And if I'm not careful, I'm be thinking, what's wrong with these guys? Why don't they just sing out? But then I think to myself, well, you know what? I, I need to at least try to teach them, right? And because I've been just hoping people would do it, and then I'm just realizing, like, well, maybe they don't know why they ought to do it. And they don't know the Bible says to do it. So that's why when I came, I came back from a trip earlier this year, and, and I'm just like, man, guys, the Bible says lift up your voice and sing. Not if you got a good voice. If you have a voice, lift it up. Sing. And if you're going to sing, sing out. Praise the Lord. I mean, just because uh, we're, not, we're not trying to please other people, man. We're, we're trying to praise the Lord. And, you know, and, and it goes again to the fear, the, the, the fear of man. When we talk about the fear of God versus the fear of man, it, it was pretty revolutionary uh, to me when I began to get a good grasp of what it means to fear the Lord. Because, again, I feel like I've had a good grasp of it for many years, but as far as being able to explain the fear of the Lord, and I know it goes beyond this, but I know people's very first idea of fearing the Lord is like, Ooh, God scares me. You know, man, He's terrifying. And there's an element of truth to that. But, man, we're in grace and forgiven. We don't fear God in that sense. But the point is this. What is it? Have you ever been in this situation and I understand, we talked about getting dropped into the church of the 20th century and the 21st century. I got dropped into the churches in the South. You got dropped into churches here in the Midwest. Uh, man, churches of the South, man, you, the same as you walk in those doors and sit right there and sing a song and shake hands, you pray in the altar. That's what they do. It's just a part of what goes on in, at least in the culture that I came from, from Southern Church. Not every Southern Church, but, but the culture that I came from, from Southern Churches. Just what you do. So we often give people the opportunity to come and pray. Has God spoken to your heart? Uh, man, d deal with it right now. And, and I've just known from personal experience, man, there is something different for me going from standing right there and praying to where when I humble myself and pray in the altar, Okay. Uh, and, and I say this, I, I, I believe this with all my heart when I've tried to advocate for the altar. And again, this is from a practical standpoint. Have you noticed I had not quoted a verse yet about coming to the altar? Can't do it. I mean, I may have some that I could apply to that, but I'm just saying from a practical standpoint, I am certain today that if I hadn't spent so much time praying in the altar that you, me, me and you would not know each other today. We would not know each other today if I just came into church, took information and said, Lord, help me at that, and I walked out the door. I'm certain you wouldn't know, know me today because what I would do is I would surrender every time. But now, I believe many of us have been in this situation. Have you ever been standing in the pew, chair, and an invitation is given, and then you're standing there and you're like, oh my gosh, I think God wants me to go pray. This ain't cool. <laughs> this ain't good. You know, uh, and, uh, and then you don't go. 
He said, Preacher, did you forget you were talking about the fear of the Lord? I didn't forget I was talking about the fear of the Lord. Why don't I come when I don't come? You want to know why? Fear of man. What's somebody else going to think? I'm going to look like a fool. He just got up there and preached about adultery, and they're going to think I'm an adultery if I come pray. You know, those types of situations. We, but what are we doing? We're fearing man. But the fear of God says, you know what? I care. It's this. I care more about what God thinks than what somebody else thinks. Fear of man, fear of God. Praising the Lord's the same way. Man, I just feel like I should praise the Lord. Uh, why don't I? Uh, hey, do you know I've gotten in trouble for praising the Lord before? I've got called out for praising the Lord before. Publicly. Uh, from the pastor who preached and helped bring me to Christ. <laughs> he called me out. He, he wasn't real big on public praise. Um, but he called me out publicly for it. It was embarrassing. You said, what would you do? I just praise the Lord. <laughs> I just, uh, God's worthy. But, uh, but the point is that, uh, that we ought to praise the Lord rather than having the fear of man. And, and I told you this was going to be the last one of worship, and so I've just got two more I'm going to give you quickly. One has already been mentioned, prayer. Prayer. Uh, the sacrifice of prayer is a, a form of worshiping God. And then also, was also mentioned, was the sacrifice of our possessions, of giving. Why does the Bible talk so much about giving and, you know, holding on to our possessions and things of that nature? Any, any, any answer to that? Why does Jesus, why does he preach more? Now, when it's, it's true that he preaches more about money. It doesn't mean he's always preaching about giving. Sometimes he's just using examples with money. But why is it that Jesus, and, and the Bible does talk a lot about our giving and our, and our relationship with our possessions. Doria? Well, and that's right. And what Jesus said is where your heart is, there will your treasure be also. And what happens, we, mankind, whatever it is, we have a tendency to grab onto possessions. And the problem is, and again, there's nothing wrong, and you've heard it many times, there's nothing wrong with having possessions, and there's nothing wrong with having wealth, and there's nothing wrong with having money, nothing wrong with that at all. But what's the problem? Not having it, but when it has you. And the thing about money is, you ever thought about this with money? Money makes, money makes all the same promises that God makes. Money and wealth promises it'll take care of you. It promises you joy. It promises you a future. The promises that God makes, money makes. And so there's a tendency that we can all have to hold on to things. But the, 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 the reason that Jesus addresses it so much is that out of, out of so many of these things, if there's anything that goes deep down into the heart, our hearts, the heart of man, is possessions. It is our money. It's the things that we can hold on to more than anything else. Uh, all right. Well, thank you very much for letting me uh, teach on worship for the last couple of weeks. Uh, not exhaustive by any means, but uh, man, let's worship the Lord together today. Let's pray.
Let's give. Let's, let's sing. Let's praise the Lord. Let's serve. Let's uh, just... Because why? Because He's worth it. Amen?